should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Tuesday, November 15th. Yesterday I kept saying it was the 18th. I think, uh, I apologize for that. I think I was just so ready for the week to be over. I'm ready for the year to be over. I'm still like not feeling, you know, the holiday season, even though I went to sleep early on Halloween, thinking, you know, everything was just going to be okay. It's Tuesday, so you know it's our favorite day of our radio week because John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Thank you, John, thank you so much for coming back. Oh, it's a pleasure, and thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I really feel like we wrote the, the script for a wonderful play, an amazing play, a revolutionary play even, and then somebody stole the script from us. WTF. You're talking about the Chicago Cubs victory? <laughs> That was a huge <laughs> surprise. <laughs> Unseen. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the election. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you asked me, uh, how am I doing? And it, 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 it's hard for me to answer that, you know, in a fake way, yeah. which we do that all the time as humans. When somebody says, how you doing? And even though it's a bad day, you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm okay. You know, whatever. You really don't want to tell people, um, you know, how bad you're doing. But I cannot help it. Uh, you know, I'm obviously so affected in a lot of ways. But what I will tell you, and I guess you could look at it as if it is a positive thing, um, it's really energized me to want to get involved. Great. Yeah. Um, and I know that we talked before the show started in kind of your thoughts of why there is hope. And I think we'll get to it the second half of the show, but, but how are you? Let's check in with you. I've probably been going through the same kind of feeling of being stunned for the past we can trying to get a sense of, well, what comes next? I mean, you know, it, is there such a thing as normal life? Um, you know, and reading people I, I respect, Paul Krugman and others, um, as well as just people I know, talking to them, well, you know, who's going to be affected by this? Is, you know, what, what will change? I mean, this was a seismic shift in, in American mm -hmm. politics. It's part of a, an ongoing seismic shift in the West, Mm -hmm. um, that has uh, Financial Times, New York Times, both kind of writing about how, uh, for example, Angela Merkel, Germany's chancellor, is kind of the last person still in, in the West uh, on, a, on a, you know, one of the major leaders. That sounds mean. I'm putting down poor Canada. But, you know, I mean, one of the, the countries that really kind of drives policy in the West, she's kind of the last one left still upholding that liberal democratic ideal. Mm. And that's funny, you know, she's a conservative, but liberal democratic meaning a place for tolerance and, and, and uh, you know, respecting diversity and, 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 you know, internationalization and stuff like that. And uh, I don't know if you saw what she said uh, when she was talking about 
her contact with Donald Trump, because of course, you know, world leaders call the new president and, and congratulate them or whatever, castigate them. She, of course, had that call, but she also said, you know, something to the effect of, you know, the United, Germany looks forward to, you know, continuing its close cooperation with, with the United States, with all, you know, all these shared values, et cetera, um, on the basis of respect for the right, you know, women and, and people of color and uh, sexual orientation and all sure. these kinds of things. It's like, yeah, she's, she's saying what just about any Western leader would have said 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, now you're not seeing. Anyway, so it, it's kind of a, everyone's kind of getting a sense of, okay, just what it's after the earthquake. Are there any more <laughs> tremors coming? What's, you know, what's broken? Right. What's, what needs attention? And can I go to sleep tonight or not? Yeah. Uh, well, for me, you know, this week back from the election results, it's all about checking in with everyone and, and, and just making sure everybody is mentally, emotionally, physically okay in, in a lot of ways. And so that's what you hear in terms of the interviews this week and then next week we'll get to work and we'll, we'll really start to, to hammer down on, on some of the policies or the changes that the Trump administration um, has campaigned on, and I start to say administration because he's already started to align himself with certain people. So we'll talk about that. Let's get the show started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our next guest has been on our show before, and he is considered a good friend and also a great contributor in a lot of ways. He's contributed for the Huffington Post and many other notable um, uh, you know, media. media. Yeah, I just say all over. He's done TV. He's done all of that, and um, he's an activist. He's a, <clears throat> excuse me, writer and also a political consultant. So let's welcome Lane Huns- Hudson to the show. Lane, thanks so much for joining me here today. Hey, Michelle. Nice to hear your voice again. Yeah. So Lane, you you worked hard for for Hillary uh, Clinton. You know, in this uh, election, and so I thought, you know, of the few couple of people that I wanted to check in. How are you doing? I'm tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people are tired. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I think so many of us are disappointed with the election result, but um, it is what it is. And so it's, you know, as my mother told me, it's up to us to decide how we're going to react to it. Um, so I, I think most of us are just going through the process of grieving the loss of a lot of the hopes and dreams that we had with uh, Hillary administration and building on the progress that we've achieved over the past eight years. So it's a lot to reconcile for, for a lot of people. It, um, it, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, isn't it kind of a, a strange feeling of you can't, you, you can't feel that you failed because she got so many votes, more than him and, you know, more than just about anybody else. And yet it didn't, you know, they weren't in the right place. It, it, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things where I hear people kind of doing these postmortems on her election, saying, "Oh, she shouldn't have done this. She shouldn't have done this. She did this wrong." It's like, well, but for well, well John, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you. I mean, speaking directly to that, mm-hmm. um, you know, most of my involvement with the campaign was on the fundraising side. I, I was, I stepped up on day one and started raising money. Um, I was on the national finance committee. I've been mostly involved on that side and, of course, paying attention to everything as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for the last two months of the campaign, I went to Ohio, and I was an organizer in Dayton. And part of the reason I did that was because, you know, I wanted to be a part of something historic. I didn't want to be sitting in Washington um, with all this nervous energy, thinking maybe I could do something more. 
Um, and I can tell you from my experience that this was a very well-run campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back um, at my experience, you know, no campaigns are perfect, but I don't come away from it thinking, well, they really should have done it this way, or I can't believe they didn't do this or that. Um, I can't believe they didn't spend money here and not there. I don't have any of those questions about this campaign. What I have questions about um, are about our larger society in general and and the things that were wrong, not that the campaign did. Um, something I've been harping on on Facebook, and if I had enough um, focus, I would even write a, an entire book on this. When the, when the Internet came about, it was heralded as the new age of information. And I am absolutely convinced that we've reached the point where the Internet is no longer um, useful in that sense, and we've entered what I call the age of misinformation. Mm-hmm. And, and we're starting to see a little bit of pushback on that. Um, Google has now announced that they're not going to include these fake news sites in their search results anymore. Um, there's some pressure on Facebook to not have these fake news sites that show up as trending um, articles on, their, on the side of their main page. So, so we're starting to see some pushback on it, but it's a little too late. I mean, we're now saddled with someone who, in his first meeting with Barack Obama, didn't even understand the scope of the powers of the presidency. Yeah. It's like he didn't even take an American government class in high school. <laughs> let, let me ask you, how? obviously a lot of uh, Democrats, just about every Democrat, and quite a few Republicans, are very worried about what is going to happen over the next four years or until his impeachment, whichever is sooner. Um, and how do you think, and having worked inside and seen how, how the Democratic Party worked, and as you said, it, it, I mean, it, it was a very well-run machine. Um, how do you think they're prepared to deal with a President Trump, a Trump administration, uh, the proposals and the change in this country? Do you think they're well-prepared, or is this um, a time for them to kind of sit back and say, oh, my gosh, we have to change everything? I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen. Um, you know, we as progressives, um, and I would I would say particularly lessons that I've drawn from the LGBT rights movement, we're really good at playing defense, offense, right? So I have to get used to doing that, yeah. and and it kind of makes me a little sad because I was really looking forward to fighting for progress, you know, fighting to get you know, major improvements to the health care law, fighting to get comprehensive immigration reform. And now all those things are really off the table. Yeah. And what we're going to have to do is is really rest up and then recharge and fight to hold the progress we've won and not lose too much. So in that sense, I, I hate to say it, but because the Republican obstructionism over the past seven and a half years has been a source of a lot of what people are angry about. and And I don't know how we can in good conscience just sit back and allow them to tear apart kind of the fabric of our society mm-hmm. to roll back, you know, women's rights to control their own body, to, um, allow people to live openly and freely with who they are, no matter what, pra- no matter who they love or what religion they practice. These are the things that are worth fighting for and they're worth being obstructionist if that's what it takes to protect them. Um, in other, in other words, I think I would say that our obstructionism would be better than their obstructionism, mm-hmm. as sad as that sounds to say. Well, and, and so what, something uh, Michelle and I, I know we're going to talk about more later, and we were talking about this before the program. What advice would you give to 
other Democrats, liberals, progressives, uh, about, if you will, you know, playing a role in what in whatever happens. Where should they go? What should they get involved in? How should they uh, uh, look for opportunities to do stuff? Well, I think a lot of these things are, are yet to come up, right? A lot of people are asking this question. They're asking whether or not they did enough. They're asking what can they do now. Mm-hmm. And, and the answers to those questions um, are not readily apparent quite yet. Um, there are a lot of organizations that have been around for a while that I'm sure are trying to also figure out their role. There'll undoubtedly be new groups and organizations that come up. Um, I'm, I'm actually paying attention to a group um, in D.C. called The Rising. They're on Facebook. It's called The Rising. And, and they're, it's a group of young progressives, a diverse group, who are looking to find a way to harness um, entertainment and social media and activism in order to you know, play defense over the next four years. Um, I, I would look toward groups of young people um, with lots of energy because one thing that we've got to do is we've got to build the bench. Um, and without a strong leader um, in the White House, um, that's going to be really hard to do and folks are going to have to kind of figure it out on their own. Um, we also need to make sure that we have a DNC chair that's going to focus on building the party in all 50 states. And I don't do that as a shout-out necessarily to Howard Dean um, because I think there are going to be several good choices for DNC chair. But, you know, I don't want to wax poetic about the Obama administration because it wasn't perfect. In fact, one of the biggest takeaways of the administration is that we have lost, had significant losses in the states. We've lost governorships, we've lost state legislatures, mm-hmm. and we cannot sit on our laurels and allow that to stand. It's going to be a massive amount of work to claw back to where we were before 2008. And, and we shouldn't act like it's not our own responsibility to do it, because it's going to be the responsibility of everyone in order to, to get back. So there's going to be an immeasurable number of ways that people can get involved and give back and help win our country back whether they run for office themselves, whether they get off the sofa and away from their keyboard and knock on doors or host meet and greets for candidates at all levels. Um, we've got to fire on all cylinders, and it might be messy, it might be sloppy, but we need everyone working towards that end. Uh, Lane, I, I, I have a question. We are talking about um, the election as if we all have accepted the result, but there's a good number of people, actually, uh, who have signed a petition in the millions you're still hanging on to this idea that you could influence some changes from the Electoral College and in hopes that by December 19th, we, we could change some minds so that uh, Hillary Clinton can be declared the new president-elect. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I remember this in 2000. And, and I think in 2000, you had a, a better case for it. Um, you know, I know people want to hold on to hope, but I just don't see that as a viable outcome um, unless there's some intervening um, event or information that would change the game. Um, you know, I know Hillary's going to end up with a significant lead in the popular vote, but the popular vote doesn't elect our president. The Electoral College does. And, and I think if, it would just be a worse result. Um, can you imagine how damaged the Hillary presidency would be if she were elected in a um, by the Electoral College um, flipping their votes. Um, I, I just don't favor that outcome, like I said, unless there's some intervening event or information. Um, you know, I, I would love to hear someone certify that, that our election systems were monitored and that there was absolutely no foul play 
that would give me more confidence. And I would rather people focus on asking questions like that just mm-hmm. to have more confidence in the outcome rather than try to overturn the outcome of the election. Let's uh, take a quick break right here. But when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Lane Hudson. Don't go away. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday, November 15th. The 15th. It's the 15th. Not the end of the, the world. Or civilization. <laughs> the Ides of November. Uh, just a week or so left, uh, about a week and a couple days until Thanksgiving. Which is your favorite holiday. I it is my days. favorite holiday, holiday. And although I'm being cynical and negative, that does, that shouldn't stop you from being thankful and spending time with your family. And so, you know, happy almost Thanksgiving. Our guest on the phone is Lane, Lane Hudson, who worked on the Hillary campaign, uh, had uh, worked mainly in the fundraising camp, you know, part of it, but also is an activist and is extremely outspoken. Lane, I, I wanted to ask you this question before we, we move on to anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, how is Hillary? Have you heard from her other than, you know, her call to her supporters? Um, no, not not personally. I've been on a couple calls with her. Um, she did a call with um, all of the campaign staff the day after the election. She did another call with um, kind of the progressive talkers, if you will, you know, media folks. Um, and then she did a call for the finance team. Um, I, I didn't go to the um, staff appreciation event she did in Brooklyn, um, but I did see video of her remarks there. And, and she's exactly what you would expect. She's um, resilient. Um, she is there supporting people. Um, 
I think she feels like um, she let people down. And I don't know what will come next for her, but, you know, she's not a shrinking violet. Um, I think any way that she sees that she can um, help protect the progress that we've made um, and find ways to win more progress, she'll probably do. Um, she is um, someone that has the calling for public service. And, and we all know people like that, and we need more and more people like that. Um, so I think, I think she's going to be working through grief just like we all are. Um, it's also not easy to put your name on the ballot and lose, mm-hmm. um, especially when we know the stakes were so high in this election. So, so I expect her to, to stay involved and, and be a source of strength and, and pride for many people. Uh, this is selfish of me before John has a question, but uh, I get it is too early to say third third time could be a charm. Um, but I'm, I just I want her in the White House so bad. <laughs> I, I can't believe. Going, well, sorry, go ahead. I, I, I was just going to say um, I was at the headquarters yesterday, and and we've all seen on Facebook our friends who visit the headquarters. There's this wall with a big H, um, and it said Hillary for dot dot dot, and and people would fill in their own things. And someone on staff had put a little sign after the dot, dot, dot that said forever. Um, and I, I think a lot of people feel that way. It, it is far too early to, to know what four years from now holds. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyone who can tell you what's going to be going on in the next presidential election is selling you um, something that, that they can't rightfully sell you. Um, I, I will say this. I, I'm going to be looking for... Um, whatever it takes to win in four years. And, and I think what it's going to take to win in four years is us to be winning everywhere else that we can as well. We've just got an incredibly divided country and a lot of angry people with that information. And, and there are large entire systems of things that need to be changed in this country in order to make that right. And, and it's going to take a lot of work to get there. So tell us what your experience was like in Dayton. So Ohio went for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, the the folks you were meeting in and around Dayton, I mean, were they were they Hillary supporters? Were they were they potential Trump? You know, what kind of questions and and sense of uh, did they have, and what sense of of them and how they might vote were you getting from the people around there? So, just as a a little bit of background, um, you know, Ohio, as most people know, is traditionally you know a bellwether battleground state, right? Um, Within Ohio, Dayton is one of those, it's in Montgomery County, which is a swing county in Ohio. Um, in 2012, Obama won the state of Ohio by 100,000 votes. And in 2012, Obama won Montgomery County, where Dayton is, by 7,000 votes. Um, throughout the course of the campaign, um, it felt like it was a very close race um, all around. We had good energy from volunteers. Um, we had, you know, pretty good turnout for early vote. Um, we had great canvas operations. We had a strong campaign team. We were organizing in every part of the county, um, even in the red parts of the county, trying to make sure that we were identifying and turning out on um, every single Democrat that we could. Um, we we did all the things that you need to do in a campaign. Um, the surrogate support in Ohio was excellent. Um, for instance, in Cleveland, where the early vote was down, the campaign sent heavyweight surrogates there to pump up the early vote numbers. Um, we 
we thought internally um, in the, on the Ohio team, like we were catching up and that we could eke out a victory on election day. Um, you know, it turned out not to be that way. Um, and the swing in Ohio total was um, about 600,000 votes. And we lost by about half a million. So we lost about 600,000 Democratic voters. And the numbers that I've seen nationally um, show that the Republicans aren't gaining votes. They actually have static vote numbers for the most part over the past three presidential elections. What's happening is we're losing Democratic voters. And when I mention that we've got some very big systems and problems that need to change, um, you can see it reflected in that. And the fact that we've lost essentially 10 million Democratic voters since 2008. And I attribute it to voter suppression. And when I say that, I don't mean, you know, some old white dude waving a Confederate flag standing out of a polling place. What I mean are really big things that in the end are massive in voter suppression, like changing voter ID laws, like um, promoting misinformation, and, and like having Russia tamper with our elections. A lot of this misinformation that's been done online has been the effort of propagandists. Um, working for the Russian government. Um, it's been reported on. I mean, even Samantha Bee did a segment on this. She interviewed some of these people. And everyone just kind of scratches their head, and and it doesn't even resonate with them, and I don't understand that. But um, at, at the end of the day, Ohio also had um, demographics working against us. It's becoming older and whiter. Um, it's kind of going against the grain of demographic trends nationwide. So it's always going to be a hard, um, hard time to win Ohio. But uh, the campaign knew that we didn't just need to win it for this election; we need to win it for future elections. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about white working class voters, yeah. and one thing that I noticed um, for the first time, and and you know, as a white male who lives with a certain amount of privilege because of that, um, it struck me at, at some point because a lot of our volunteers, a lot of people that we worked with, are black working class voters and nobody talks about black working class voters and you know how they react in this election they reacted by turning out in huge numbers to stop a potential trump presidency meanwhile work, white working class voters rejected the most accomplished prepared person ever to run for the presidency the only person who actually understands what we need to do to get the economy working again and they voted for someone who has literally screwed working class voters at every step of his career and has screwed working class people um, especially of color. So it, it really makes me want to talk more about the difference between white working class voters and black working class voters and who is actually smarter. Mm. Wow, great point. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so let's, uh, you know, now that we have established that we've accepted, you know, President-elect Donald Trump um, and that the fact that he's going to be our president, I mean, he's already made some moves um, which I think speaks volumes to all of us in kind of what kind of presidency, you know, he's he's going to lead this country to, which is scary. I mean, mm-hmm. and, 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 yeah. and even if you haven't lived long enough to experience some of the other terrible presidents, this is really scary. Uh, what are your mm-hmm. feelings, Lane? I mean, yes, we have to fight. We've got to mobilize and especially the LGBTQ community, we're really powerful and organized. We've got a lot of talent in the community who's made some incredible gains this year, but it still doesn't mean that it's not scary. Yeah. I I will have to say that I've had conversations with folks in the defense, um, diplomatic, 
and intelligence worlds. And there's a lot of aim, um, a great deal of it. Um, and and there's there's it seems to be that folks are, you know, they were struggling with, uh, do we just bail and get out of here? Because we don't know who would fill our role and who's actually going to do our job if we're not here. And it seems like most people are, are going to, you know, be duty-bound and stay. The, the problem is, you know, how much can they do, right? It, if you just take, like right now, Rudy Giuliani or John Bolton are being considered for state, for a secretary of state, which both of them are terrifying. Um, we've got, as far as our diplomatic apparatus goes, we've got our official channels, right? We've got the State Department. Um, we've got our ambassadors. We've got UN. There are also foundations that are involved in diplomatic efforts um, that are meant to kind of support and buttress official efforts. And then you've got all kinds of back-channel stuff. And the, the problem is, if we've got an atrocious foreign policy team at the top, um, it's going to be really hard for career diplomats and career uh, folks at the State Department to um, maintain the status quo without compromising themselves. And, and I don't know it, how far that can go before we start having real problems. Um, because I don't see that these career people as being willing to go too far. And it's really going to depend on how well the political appointees respond to the career, to the pressure from the career diplomats. And I could see this happening um, across the board um, at any given agency. Um, it, it's going to be very interesting to watch, and it's potentially very scary. Um, I think that if we're going to be on the outside of this, we need to pay close attention to it, you know, stay in conversations with people, have a decent understanding of what's happening, and provide our voices and our support when and where we can. I think that's, those are interesting points you made. I, I'm reminded of the intelligence agencies or intelligence uh, workers, who, staffers who, who basically either left or were pushed out during the George W. Bush administration because they disagreed what was going on, they weren't being listened to, uh, the agencies were doing things that, that were specifically, uh, uh, they believed, you know, against American interests and, 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 and in many cases the law. Um, it will be definitely worth watching to see if that happens in you know, the diplomatic circles, the intelligence agencies, defense, um, as, you know, I guess we could name every agency really in the government. That'll be yeah. one of the signs. Of um, hey, hey, John and Michelle, just an FYI, I'm about to go through the Holland Tunnel because I'm leaving New York, and I don't know if I'm going to lose my signal or not. We will say goodbye, Elaine. Thank you so much for, for joining us and spending some time with us. And, um, sure, any time at all. It's always a pleasure to chat. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you, Loon Hudson. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. On that note, we'll go to a quick break, and then we'll come back and pick up on John's thoughts, and we'll discuss it here on the show. So don't go away. Hi, my name is Courtney Ziegler, and I'm the founder of TransHack, which is an organization focused on creating technology for the trans community and visibility for trans technologists and entrepreneurs. 
tech is like the new industrial revolution. There's so many opportunities for wealth building and wealth creation. It's perfect for the trans community, which experiences strong amounts of unemployment um, and low wages. Trans hack um, provides an opportunity for trans individuals to take advantage of the wealth creation that the tech industry provides. Um, it's a space in which people who are in charge of innovation and development, all these awesome things that we are able to use through technology, are paid really well for that. And so I think that trans people should definitely have their hand in, in that space and creating that. And so TransHack provides that opportunity. I got my first computer when I was 15 years old in the 90s, and it changed my world ever since then. And I went on to become an independent filmmaker who had to uh, not only write direct my own films, but also was just kind of doing the technical stuff behind it, which is the editing and the capturing, all those things. I've always had this kind of tech-based background. I'm just very curious about a lot of things and just very fascinated about things that I don't know um, and things that can make me a better person. All of that motivates me. I'm just like, what else can I know? What else can I do? What else can I learn? Success to me means a number of things. I think right now in my life personally, it means waking up every day and feeling proud of the work that I'm doing and proud of myself. Just know what you want to get out of any particular industry. Um, it's not an industry that's 100% inclusive in the ways that it should be, in the ways that it's progressing towards, of all types of people in, in terms of creating the tech and the industry itself, building its infrastructure. Um, but that's also exciting in the fact that like um, people like me have a lot of room to change a lot of things and a lot of precedent to set. So, um, and that is the, the epitome of success. Spotlight on success and achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday, November 15th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Uh, so John, finish your thought. I had a thought. Uh, well, you yes, before Lane had to, had to go. Um, I... I think I, I mean mainly I was playing on what, what he was talking about about uh, the 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 actually we've we've talked about this before in the past which I've always said it's not just the person in power though the person who is president is responsible for all these other positions mm -hmm. and they're the ones who really affect your life whether you get that immigration uh, waiver for your partner whether uh, you know your company is able to do business with the government and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's not just the people who write the laws, it's the people who actually implement, or uh, not even implement, it's the people who are, the their work is the embodiment of fulfilling that law. Um, and, uh, of course, the point he was making was simply, just because he's president and appoints people there, it doesn't mean that everyone there is going to be, everyone down below him is going to be happy doing what he wants. I My question, I guess, kind of would take that, be to take that further and say, is it good if they leave and say, I refuse to be a part of this? Or is it better if they stay and refuse to be a part of it? If you know what I mean? I do. I do. But let's start with, you know, his his picks on some of these positions. And um, so, OK, I'm going to breathe. <laughs> OK, so his his chief strategist, um, Stephen Bannon. So that that's a pick. Right. To me, that's probably the most troubling one. Um, I think a lot of the others, this is not to downplay any of the other folks he grabbed when he reached deep into the basket of deplorables, um, 
but a lot of the others are going, there are going to be various checks on them that might not work or whatever, but there are other, there are some things we can hope will, will, will affect them when we'll get into some of those folks. But a chief strategist, that's not a constitutional office. Mm-hmm. That's basically just where you park uh, Dick Morris and, and Clinton's <laughs> case or uh, Karl Rove. You know, they're, they're political strategists that you put on the government payroll and give them an office in the West Wing. And um, they can be extremely powerful. They often override, uh, you know, just about everybody else. And it used to be that the chief of staff was the strong person who, you know, controlled access to the president. I've always thought if I was president, I would make the vice president my chief of staff because that's the person you want absolutely intricately involved in everything unless you're a complete idiot and got a really terrible vice presidential candidate. Nonetheless, uh, it's now turned out that, well, the politics, you know, since winning is everything, that political strategist is the one who often can uh, overrule the chief of staff. And um, so, so far, there's the troubling pick of just, he's picked someone who's, a very much a street fighter, a political street fighter for a very important position that has no constitutional checks or balances. Congress doesn't approve or disapprove that position, I don't believe. Uh, you know, it's not a cabinet position. Um, and then we get into the whole issue of what this guy is. And why, why don't we, we talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, founder of Breitbart, right? Um, uh, or and Andrew Breitbart was, but he not was, founder he's the head editor. of it. And yeah. He's been with it a long time. Uh, which we, if you tune into Progressive Voices, Breitbart is, um, you know. Your favorite site. <laughs> I hate Breitbart. <laughs> right wing, conservative, uh, angry, Well, and over hateful. the summer, I guess, uh, uh, what's his face, Bannon, uh, said he, you know, that this Breitbart is, is the voice or the home of the alt-right movement. And mm-hmm. um, that... That has a lot of even Republicans scared that that is now, you know, set, you know, right there in the West Wing with the president. Um, okay, so you spoke of chief of staff, and he chose um, Rince Priebus. Rince Priebus, Secretary of State, as it's soon to be determined. But he was looking at Newt Gingrich, Bob Corker, John Bolton, which I think Corker's in the running. No, just because he, um, I, he might be. I don't know. I, I've I just read some stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think and Rudy this, Giuliani's been the scary about. one. Yeah, well, Attorney General for, and he's thinking of Rudy Giuliani, Pam Bondi, Chris Christie, which I think Chris Christie's out of the running. The Chris run. Christie's uh, certainly out of the running. There was something uh, just yesterday or the day before in which Christie uh, kind of, or his camp, released some info kind of about how he came to endorse Trump or something like that. And it didn't make Trump look good. And that kind of made me think that since Christie was pushed aside, this is me just totally reading tea leaves, folks. I have no inside information. <laughs> but since Christie was pushed aside from running the transition and Mike Pence was, was put in charge of it just a few days ago, because, um, of course, Chris, Chris, Chris Christie is, is facing his own legal troubles uh, thanks to a certain bridge, um, that this was Christie basically burning his own bridges to keep mm-hmm. with the motif um, with Trump. So the point being, Christie, I don't think, has any right. role unless they unless Trump needs him again at some point for some other reason. Well, you know, considering that uh, Mike Pence, our vice president-elect, I guess I have to start using these labels, um, Mike Pence is heading his transition team. I mean, I just think that that's really dangerous, knowing who Mike Pence is and what he's done, the damage he's done. 
Well, and, and th- that, that gets to the heart of what type of a president is Donald Trump going to be? And this is my big, um, what, contradiction or, or, or worry that, well, I, it's not, I don't even know whether, what part of it to worry about. So, okay, Donald Trump, you disagree with his, with his, his views and you, dis, you disapprove of, of him and his actions and his words in so many ways. And we've seen the way he reacts to things. And so there, that's why so many folks believe he is just, you know, as the president and Hillary Clinton have said, he's fundamentally unfit for the role of the presidency. Okay, but he's president. His vice president is Mike Pence, who mm-hmm. is a very conservative, anti-LGBT, extremely anti-reproductive uh, uh, rights governor from Indiana. He was, on, he was un, becoming very unpopular even in, in red state Indiana. Um, but the the word is kind of that Mike Pence will basically be the guy running day to day operations of the administration. Mm-hmm. Do we want that? I mean, is that? I mean, this. Okay, all you folks who who would whine online about the lesser of two evils between an incredibly talented and devoted uh, uh, civil servant versus Trump, um, this is the lesser of two evils for you if you're not, if you're not on the the alt right really. Do you want Donald Trump to actually be the one making the decisions, or do you want Mike Pence? Because it's kind of one of those two. <laughs> I don't um, know. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, here's I think whatever we get here at the beginning is probably not the team we're going to be looking at two years from now. Mm. So much is going to happen. Every president who has gotten into office, uh, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, uh, Barack Obama, though, well, they, they've all kind of basically said, you know. You you don't realize what you actually can do. You don't know what the powers are, how to how to move everything. Around, even if you understand the office, I mean, it, it, it's like when you're there, so much changes. And uh, you you know, Bill Clinton famously retooled after the health care bill failed, and you know he brought in David Gergen and, and others. Um, I, I I and also I think because of some of the people that that Trump is bringing in, um, they're very mercurial personalities. There's going to be a lot of clashing. I think there's going to be a lot of legal challenges. Um, we know the ACLU and other groups are, are ready for the fight. Yep. So anyway, what I'm saying is watch what's going on because this does tell us what kind of administration Donald Trump wants to lead, but it doesn't mean that's who we're looking at in those offices sure. for the next four years. There's already reports of, you know, something along the lines of a, a knife fight <laughs> or some drama with some of his his picks or or I guess, you know, the conversation of who to pick. Um, to be a part of his team, I you know let's 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 talk about the the issues. I mean, a lot of what um, the media is talking about is the fact that Paul Ryan is all of a sudden you know falling in line and has become the new Trump evangelist <laughs> or cheerleader. You know, he's already talking about you know, um, yeah, repealing Obamacare, supposedly replacing it with something better, but they have no idea what that something is. Uh, getting rid of Medicare, Medicaid. That's right. Um, so now you're looking at 20 million Americans potentially not having insurance and killing off senior citizens of this country. So that's not even going back to pre-Obama times. That's going back to pre-LBJ times. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that's the if you want the long arch or the long arc, I should say, of of the Republican Party over the past 30, 40, 50 years, it's been trying to undo all the New Deal stuff. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so they're working their way through right now through, obviously, Obama and uh, Lyndon Johnson, Johnson's Great Society. 
And uh, how do know. Americans who vote for him rationalize their vote by saying that that was, you know, that it's a good thing to do to go I'm, back? I, I'm going to quote that great sage of uh, the the left, uh, Susan Sarandon. Um, they're mad as hell. They want change. And he's going to bring the revolution. So the details of it. <laughs> I, you know, change isn't about going back. No, 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 no. But they're not just talking change. They want a revolution. Yeah. Because the system, look, if you're, if you're, I'm, I'm not the voice of, of the, the white uh, rural voter in the, the Midwest, but if you are a, a middle, lower middle, let's say middle, lower middle class, working class, white person in the Midwest, you may or may not have a job. You may or may not have any prospects of a job. Your, your town, your probably small town or whatever, has a, a heroin epidemic after it barely survived a meth epidemic. You know, the factories have closed. Uh, you've got that great opportunity of possibly a career as a greeter at Walmart. All that sounds like maybe I'm trying to be silly, but I mean, okay, they're not sitting around necessarily like a lot of uh, perhaps, you know, white middle class or an upper class uh, Trump supporters that we might have, hear about more on the West Coast. You know, oh, it's a uh, go ahead. But, but I'm still not understanding how you logically, you know, place your vote for someone who's going to take away and aid I, and that you're I'm relying on. Is, uh, they don't see the system working for them right now. And uh, so something has to change. Something has to change. And they think that if you upend the table, that all the dishes will come down in a, in a better thing, or well, at least that I don't know what to say, but but I'll, I'll be there for them when there is no plan in place, and whatever the plan was today that wasn't working, that's all of a sudden taken away from them. That was actually giving them something, you know. Uh, I guess those of us who are willing to fight will be there. Let's take a quick break, but when we come back, we will finalize our thoughts and close down the show. Don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. 
Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here today. And uh, this is day one of officially being back um, and being completely derailed and disappointed and horrified and saddened. All those, you know, adjectives that describe how I was feeling. I'm still depressed about the election results, but I'm here now and uh, it's my vow to keep going. And it, 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 it's funny because I've been seeing and reading articles about how the media world has been responding to Donald Trump. I would have to say that I'm disappointed by 60 Minutes a little bit and CBS News and kind of softening him and then the day after being like, hey, look, he can behave. I would hope that by, I was about to curse there, by 70 years old, that you can behave, that you can sit in your seat and while conducting an interview as president of the United States, that you don't have to scream at somebody or you don't have to like posture yourself in an aggressive manner. And it's like, you know, no, we shouldn't give him a pass just because he has softened his tone. Uh, yes, he, he's getting the benefit of low expectations. Um, and it was interesting, though, to to see that the New York Times had put out something in in terms of their vow to uh, to fight any of, you know, his racism, his sexism, his bigotry and all that stuff in, in terms of them being a big media conglomerate. They, they did what you'd hope for uh, from big media to actually say, we're going to be here. We're going to be covering this. We're going to do our jobs. Um, I think we can expect the same out of the Washington Post, which really stepped up during this campaign. Mm-hmm. And they certainly can't walk back their position in Washington. I mean, they're 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 too visible, mm-hmm. and they're going to be a target of him. So um, you know, those two probably will will be the ones who I, I'm going to be proven wrong. I know, but <laughs> I suspect we'll see them breaking up, breaking some of the really big stories over the next few years. I shouldn't say this publicly, but I oh, mean, do. in <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of pondered this as I was. Showering. I do all my best thinking when I'm showering. Okay, we're um, on a six-second delay here, so we'll, we'll just erase <laughs> anything you say. That's too bad. You know how do we how do we uh, get rid of Fox News? Okay, so Frank Rich is a writer for the New York for New York Magazine, excuse me, uh, formerly for the New York Times, and he wrote something. This is probably a year ago, but he, and he was basically the gist of it was liberals should stop freaking out about Fox News. Their audience actually is not that big. It's bigger than CNN's alone or MSNBC's alone or whatever, but that's just because there are more liberal or centrist stations out there. Fox, what Fox has is a, a niche audience that is very vocal, so they will contact their cable stations, cable companies, demand that Fox is carried. On the other hand, it's also an audience that is getting older and dying off. So, and not only that. Who knows what happens now in the conservative media landscape if Trump TV comes along or something like that? What do you think? Have you been following Glenn Beck? I know <laughs> the words you always expected me to ask you here. What he's been saying since the election? Somewhat, I've been surprised by some that? of the things yeah. that he has said and and kind of how he has evolved in his his thinking on a more independent level and, and independent of you know the his conservative Republican party um it's interesting and I hope that you know more and more talk show hosts kind of walk that line I don't care if they aren't you know tree hugging uh you know left-leaning radical gay loving people I I just think that if if we could move or swing you know people's thoughts in a lot from full discrimination to 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 seeing the light we all just want equal rights and protection. It would work in our favor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a thought about 
I had thought about like quitting the show, quitting what we're doing here just because I became somewhat cynical and negative and paranoid that talking too much trash about Donald Trump and being how crazy he is, I mean, he could destroy me. I'm just such a little tiny person um, as far as like, you know, self-producing this whole thing. And then it was like, well, you know, that's kind of how big news organizations like Huffington Post are now what they are. Right. I mean, it was born out of making sure that there was a place or a platform to speak openly and to, to, to have some dissent. That, that's right. Uh, I mean, it started off as kind of a, a reaction to, I think, Drudge Report. Mm-hmm. You know, it's wildly popular thing that served up news. Some of it real news, some of it not um, became beloved by conservatives. Um, and Huffington Post started off and uh, became, in fact, I think Andrew Breitbart was involved in it in the early years, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, but uh, she cast her net wide within the liberal and progressive uh, area, but she being Ariana Huffington. Um, but it, it, it became huge, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and deservedly so, and I say this as someone who, who posts on Huffington Post every week. Um, I think it, it does get to another reminder of and it, it's it's easy when you're you're feeling you know especially like like Lane Hudson and so many people um, who who actively worked on this campaign didn't just vote or didn't just post uh, social media stuff actively were out there knocking on doors making phone calls making donating money you know trying to convince people making the machinery of of campaign work um, and, and again like Lane said it was a, it was well done you mm-hmm. know but. Sometimes it, when when you're just looking at the you know you lose the presidency and the House and the Congress and the Supreme and the House and the Rep- and Senate Supreme Court, almost all of the uh, state legislatures are are Republican controlled. Mm-hmm. Okay, it is a very 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 bad time for the Democrats. That's very easy to hear all that or to think about all that and then just be just have all the air go out of you and all, all you know, maybe the hope that really keeps a lot of people going. And especially if you're not a middle aged white guy like me, who's probably going to be fine for the next four years. I'm going to hate it. Things bad things are going to happen. I think the economy will eventually tank. But you know what? Well, Talk about white privilege. Every, well, everyone else at, is going to need you more well, than ever. Well, what I'm saying is, especially if you're not something like that. Right. And there, you know. And of course, as we know, the folks who are not something like me are growing and growing, and that's what Hillary Clinton identified and realized. Mm-hmm. That's the America I want to make sure is included. But um, so, how do you not get totally lost or, or totally defeated or anything, or just lose that hope? And I think you just have to remember: wait a minute, most people voted against him. Again, she got more votes than any other candidate in history for president, except Barack Obama, and that there are also lots of big media organizations that even if they're, you know, they, they might often our times are lumped in as liberals. Well, the New York Times was very brutal on Hillary Clinton right. through just about the entire campaign. Um, and yet they are also going to be around and they're going to be reporting these things and they're going to be, you know, whoever's in power doing stuff gets that attention. And then there are all these organizations and communities that, you know, whether it's pride organizations or, or just, you know, neighborhood organizations or families. I mean, there are people who, who think like you, who want to talk to you and that you can work with, whether it's just to get an area of comfort and safety or to actually become involved in making sure that the next presidential election, that the future of this country is different from what we're looking at right now.
Absolutely. And I think that that's the direction I was talking about. Where am I going to take this show? I need some time to regroup and think about, you know, the guests that we bring on. I don't think they're always going to be voices from our own community because, again, I think I was preaching to the choir. I think that I'm going to be reaching out and having some difficult conversations with people that we wouldn't have otherwise invited, you know, to the show to have open discussions so I can ask things like that. Why would you vote for somebody who wants to take away something that, although it needs work, you were dependent upon it? Like that, that, you know, getting to the conversation of that. And, you know, I over when I was in Reno, I had a conversation with somebody who was just so it was all about guns for him. It was, it was it, that's all his vote came down to was whether he was going to be able to carry his gun publicly or not. Um, and, and the right, you know, to bear arms. And and we just started talking and I just kept asking, like, why is there such a focus? Why is there such a focus? And he finally told me the story of, you know, being shot. At, uh, you know, I don't know, an incident that had happened. It was gang related in the neighborhood that he had lived in. And once he started a family, all he could think about was if he didn't have the right to bear arm, he would not be able to protect his family. Um, I saw, a, you know, a, a, our conversation started to, to be different because then I offered my compassion for that and completely understood that. But then asked him, so then why aren't you more involved politically to change the way we protect ourselves, to change the way how neighborhoods interact and, you know, and all these things. And it's like, it, what stops you from being politically involved and in that you have to drink this Kool-Aid that in order to protect your family, you have to go out and buy a gun. Um, so that is why I think I'm willing to get into, you know, politics here. And I think that we just need to get to those human conversations I used to think that politics was something you had to ace in in college, and I wasn't very good in AP government or AP history. It was so boring to me. And now, at 34 years old, I'm seeing that politics is human interactions. It's humanity. It's politics is how we decide things. It's how we communicate, how we live. You know, especially for for folks on the left to realize that. Um, if you believe in diversity, the only way you can have diversity and people get along where you don't have one group trying to control another's is through politics, mm -hmm. is through having those conversations mm -hmm. because it's politics or it's force. Mm -hmm. Those are only choices. I'll, I have a couple minutes here, and the last thing I want to bring up is I also spoke to another Trump you know, supporter who was a police officer, and his main thing was just like, you know, I just can't. I can't get over the emails. You know, what about the emails? And I said, what do you know about the emails? Like, what do you know of it that is completely illegal and or an action that's not as, uh, you know, horrible as any of the other presidents have? Do you really simply believe that all of the presidents were 100% pure, honest, biblical, you know, and all those things? And and he was like, no, I don't. And I said, then why do you hold such hard... Um, why do you hold Hillary in such a very difficult place? Is it because she's a woman? And he just stared at me. And, and it's okay to say that because mm -hmm. I know that that's how you grew up. Again, we need to have those hard conversations. And I would say that's the reason why it hurts so bad is because Hillary Clinton running taught me something. It is really hard to be a woman here in this country no matter what glass ceiling you're almost going to break. We just haven't gotten there yet. Well, folks, I think you've just heard why you want to keep listening to the Michelle Miao show in the coming months and years. It's, this is...
going to be exciting. <laughs> That's so awesome. Thank you so much for joining us here. For, for everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com. Also visit commonwealthclub.org for all events. John hosts his political week-to-week roundtable talk here on the Michelle Meow Show, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Thank you for tuning in.